Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Before I start today's chapter, I'd just like to remind you, or tell you if you haven't listened to my important announcement, that my podcasts have a new website. Please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk. The new website will be filled with features, but also contains a donations button. As I've said, and will continue to say, this podcast is free and will remain free to anyone who wants to listen, but all donations are gratefully received. Click on the donations button and you can donate a single amount or a monthly amount. Anyone who donates a single amount will be emailed copies of my three ebooks on a PDF format. Anyone who signs up for $2 a month on a monthly payment will be entitled to get those and any other ebook I release, release in the future. So please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk, enjoy the website and donate if you feel like you'd like to. OK, on with the show. The Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 136. The Great and the Terrible. We start this chapter with yet another death. It wouldn't have seemed particularly important at the time, after all, leaders were always dying. But the death of Baldwin of Jerusalem was a bad thing for the empire. The rulers who followed him were not as capable or strong as he was, and his kingdom began to decline. Just 25 years later, the city would fall to the Saracens, leading to the Third and Fourth Crusades. These were so devastating for the empire that it would never recover. In 1161, though, Manuel Comnenus was more concerned with the West. Hungary was causing him a problem, and he tried to get involved with the succession when King Geyser died. He then did the same thing in Serbia to fight off a rebellion. All this interfering caused both the Hungarians and Serbs to get a bit upset and invade the edges of the empire. As he was working out how to deal with the Serbs and Hungarians, Manuel received some news that didn't please him. His cousin, Andronicus, had managed to escape from prison. Oh no, not again. Oh, oh, wait a minute, that was the last chapter. Still, oh no, not again is probably exactly what went through the emperor's head when he heard the news. Manuel decided his best chance of defeating another rebellion from Andronicus was to be very, very nice to him. So he pardoned him and persuaded him to return to Constantinople. Andronicus had made an alliance with a Russian prince, so he brought a nice scary Russian army with him, which he then joined with Manuel's army to fight the Hungarians. By 1168, Bosnia, Sirmia and Dalmatia were in imperial hands, and the empire controlled nearly the whole eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea. Andronicus became governor of the province of Cilicia. Manuel hoped to make peace with the Hungarians permanent, so he offered his daughter in marriage to Bella, the heir to the throne of Hungary. He would then make Bella his heir. The Hungarian prince would one day be emperor of the Romans. This was accepted, but the marriage took a strangely long time to happen. It took a very strangely long time to happen, and 1169 it became clear why. At long last, Maria gave birth to a son, and Manuel had a true heir. He quickly cancelled the marriage and gave Bella a less important member of his family as a wife. Bella was very annoyed, but fortunately his brother Stephen, King of Hungary, died in 1172, and Bella became king of his homeland. He swore allegiance to Manuel as his overlord, and was loyal for the rest of the emperor's life. So, the western borders were secure. In the east, Manuel's peace agreement with Kilij il Arslan seemed to be holding up well. In 1169, the emperor allied himself with the new king of Jerusalem, Almaric I. Together, they decided they needed to stabilise the Crusader states. They were forever being hassled by Nur al-Din, 
and now a new enemy was rising in Egypt. The Sultan there was a young man called Saladin, and he was building up a powerful Saracen army. It was decided that Saladin must be crushed, and so Manuel sailed with the Imperial fleet while Almaric was supposed to besiege the city of Damietta. Almaric, though, was fond of cash, and he was bribed to go home. Manuel's fleet was devastated by storms on the way home, and cooperation between the Empire and the Kingdom of Jerusalem was at an end. Andronicus Komnenos, meanwhile, had fallen out with the Emperor yet again, and fled to the court of Nur al-Din with his new girlfriend, and eventually settled near Colonea, just beyond the eastern borders of the Empire. By this time, Manuel Komnenos had ruled wisely and well for over 25 years. Not only had he brought the empire to the height of its power under the Komnenai, he'd also found time to patronise the arts, education, poetry, literature and painting thrived in the mid-1100s in Constantinople. Manuel also introduced Western ideas such as chivalry and jousting tournaments. Constantinople was still the wealthiest city in the known world. Manuel was known in the West as a wise prince of great magnificence and has been called Manuel the Great by some. Manuel was undoubtedly a brilliant leader, but the world was not the place he wanted it to be. He thought that the empire was still the one and only important empire in the world of Christianity. He believed, like most emperors had, that the empire of the Romans would always be stronger and more important than other nations. It is because he thought like this that Manuel Comnenus, great though he was, began to make mistakes. He made five very big ones. All five were to lead to disaster for the empire, some quickly and some a little more slowly. So, here we go. Mistake one. Manuel upset the Venetians. The Venetians had a whole colony in Constantinople, and they had trading rights which made them very rich. The Greek citizens of the city were not happy about this, and there was a lot of tension and quite a bit of fighting. In later years, another Italian people, the Genoese, had also been granted a colony in the city called the Galata. Sometime in 1171, the Galata was attacked and burned to the ground, Manuel saw his chance and immediately blamed the Venetians. He then proceeded to have every Venetian in Constantinople, and there were about 10,000 of them, arrested and thrown into jail. All of their property was confiscated. The Venetians were, of course, furious and sent a fleet to attack the empire, but plague set in and the fleet was decimated, which was handy as Manuel's navy had been destroyed in Egypt. The Venetian ambassador, a man named Enrico Dandolo, escaped back to Venice and swore revenge. 32 years later, he would get it. Mistake 2. Manuel didn't rebuild his navy. The empire had always had a strong navy, but Manuel couldn't afford to rebuild it. Also, he'd imprisoned all the Venetians, so he had to rely on the very unreliable Genoese for ships. Mistake 3. Manuel left the Turks to themselves for 15 years. Kilij il Arslan had respected his truce with the empire, but he spent these years building up his own forces and eliminating his Muslim rivals. By 1173, he was by far the most powerful emir in Anatolia. Manuel could have defeated his Turkish rivals in the 1150s, but by the 1170s, the chance had gone. Mistake 4. Manuel forgave his cousin. Andronicus and his family were allowed to settle back in the empire. They were given a nice little castle on the Black Sea and settled down into retirement. This retirement, as we shall see would come to an end when Manuel died. Mistake 5. Manuel listened to bad advice. In 1174, the final rival to Kilij il Arslan, Nur al-Din, died, 
and Kilij il Arslan swept in and took over the Danish men's lands. He claimed that he wished the empire no harm and he would respect the borders. There were a few minor clashes and it was clear a formal peace treaty was needed. Manuel marched into Imperial Anatolia with his army and he was met by an envoy from the Seljuks. The envoy said that Kilij il Arslan wanted peace and offered a treaty on very good terms. The older officers in the army told the emperor to accept, but some of the younger ones wanted to experience a good battle and urged him to say no. So what did Manuel do? Did he listen to his wise old officers or his foolish young nobles? Well, unfortunately, the nobles won the argument and Manuel prepared for battle. The army marched towards the Seljuk capital of Iconium, but was ambushed near a ruined fort. The imperial army and their mercenaries were massacred by the Turks, even though the emperor himself had shown great courage. Kilij il Arslan was sensible in victory. He let Manuel off with a lenient peace, which weakened the empire but didn't destroy it. It was very clear, though, that the empire was no match for the Turks. The emperor knew it, and the Turks knew it. This battle crushed Manuel Comnenus. He never recovered from the shame and devastation of the defeat, and four years later he became ill. He didn't have much fight left in him, and on the 24th of September 1180 he died. He was still only 61 years old, but he had ruled the empire for 37 years. Manuel Comnenus was the most ambitious and personally brilliant of the three great Comneni. He had led his empire through difficult times and made it respected by all of its friends and its enemies. When he died though, he left it with a shattered army, no navy, very short of cash and with its prisons full of angry Venetians. He was a very good emperor, but we can't call him a great one because he left the empire weaker than he had found it and it didn't have the strength to survive the series of terrible emperors which were to follow. Alexius II was only 11 when he became emperor, and his mother, Maria, became his regent. Manuel himself had never been loved, but his wife was very unpopular. The people of Constantinople had seen too many Westerners, with their strange customs, come to Constantinople and become rich at their expense, and Maria, it must be remembered, was a Westerner through and through. She was hated by the people, and the atmosphere was ripe for revolt. The revolt became inevitable when Maria restored the rights of the Franks and Venetians, releasing them from prison, and cracked down hard on the people of the empire. All the rebels needed was a leader, and boy did they find one. Andronicus Comnenus had always had his eye on the throne, and now he saw his chance. He marched on Constantinople, picking up supporters on the way. All of the armies sent to stop him simply joined him on his march. People flocked out of their houses and cheered him to the skies. There was clearly no stopping him. But why? Why was this man, who had so many times rebelled, been captured, been imprisoned, plotted and generally been a bad boy, so popular? Well, there are a number of reasons. He looked every inch like an emperor. Although he was 64, he was in superb physical shape. He was 6 foot 4, a virtual giant in those days. He was also charming, eloquent, courageous, handsome and very popular with the ladies. When he arrived in the capital, there was great rejoicing. The young emperor, Alexius II, and his mother, though, were not rejoicing. Nope, they were not rejoicing at all. They were taken to the imperial villa to await their fate. Andronicus hated the Latins, including Franks, Normans, Venetians, and anyone else from Italy. He let it be known that there would be no punishment for murdering a Latin, and there followed a massacre, during which about 80,000 of them were killed. The whole quarter was burned to the ground. 
Andronicus Comnenus had all the brilliance of his family, but none of the compassion and common sense. Violence was the only way he knew how to solve problems. He showed this immediately. When he arrived in the city, he made his way to Manuel's marble tomb and declared he would punish the man who exiled him by falling on his family like a lion pouncing on his prey. It didn't look very good for Maria and young Alexius, but Andronicus showed his merciful side and let them live in peaceful exile. No, only joking, that's not what he did at all. First, he forced Alexius to sign his mother's death warrant. He then had himself proclaimed co-emperor. A couple of months after Maria was killed, Andronicus declared that having two emperors was bad for morale, and he had Alexius II strangled and thrown into the Bosphorus. He then married the young man's wife, even though he was nearly 50 years older than she was. Alexius was 14 years old and had been emperor for exactly three years. Every other person Andronicus could find that was even slightly related to Manuel Comnenus was also executed. But Andronicus Comnenus was just getting started. Corruption had been bad during the time of Manuel, but had become much worse during the regency of his son. Andronicus attacked corruption with all of his characteristic energy and violence. He had every corrupt official executed and set up large spikes outside every major city where he had hundreds of them impaled as a warning to anyone else. He attacked the military commanders who were only in their jobs because of their families. He had most of them killed or exiled. Actually, it worked. Corruption was virtually wiped out and the treasury began to fill up. Andronicus was not totally devoid of redeeming characteristics. He was a good and fair judge, especially in disputes between the nobility and the poor. He would occasionally give to the poor and, even more remarkably, crack down on the methods of the imperial tax collectors in the provinces. He stopped good jobs going to those who paid for them and gave the good jobs to people who could actually do them well. In that way, Andronicus did the empire more good than Manuel ever had. But too many people were being killed and everyone was afraid. There were many, many plots. Andronicus, probably not by now a bit frightened himself, became quite unbalanced and began to attend the torture sessions of those being accused of pot plotting. Pretty soon he was joining in and having a whale of a time. This was very dangerous. A very bad man was now out of control and was hurting people for fun. It was a total bloodbath. The enemies of the empire began to take notice. King Bela of Hungary seized Dalmatia, Sirmium and much of Croatia. He allied with the Serbian leader, Stephen Nemanja, and invaded the empire, sacking a lot of imperial cities in the Balkans. In Cyprus, Manuel's great-nephew declared that the island was now independent. Andronicus realised that in order to have the plot succeed, there needed to be important powerful men in the empire to lead them. This was easy to deal with, he thought, and began to put into action a plan to completely wipe out the aristocracy. He very nearly succeeded, but he didn't quite have enough time to complete the job. The worst threat to the empire came from Italy. Loads of important people of the empire fearing for their lives fled to Sicily, where there was now a large Greek-speaking court. William the Bad had died in 1166, and his son was now in charge. Now, let's have a guess what his son was called. Yep, of course, William the Bad was followed as King of Sicily by William the Good. William the Good saw an opportunity too good to miss. He dragged up somebody claiming to be Alexius II. This was rubbish, of course. Alexius was dead and in the Bosphorus, but it proved to be a useful exercise, and in 1185 William invaded the empire with an army of 80,000 men. Durazzo fell almost immediately, and the Sicilians marched on Thessalonica. The governor, David Comnenus, had been ordered by the emperor to be well prepared for the invaders. 
The governor had plenty of time to build his defences and make sure there was enough food and water for the people. But he didn't do it. Maybe he was stupid, maybe he was lazy, or maybe both. When the Sicilian army arrived and began the siege, they thought it might take a while. After two days, though, David's men ran out of arrows, and then the whole city ran out of water. After just nine days, the second city of the empire fell to William's army. Andronicus displayed his usual mix of bravery, decisiveness and madness. He strengthened the defences of the capital and sent armies to deal with the invasion. He was so worried, though, that one of his commanders would use an army to rebel that he sent five small armies, each with a separate leader. Each one of these commanders, after taking one look at the massive invading army, turned round and ran away to the hills. The Sicilians marched on Constantinople. Andronicus became even more unbalanced and went completely potty with rage. By September, the Sicilians were virtually at the doors of the capital, the western provinces were in full revolt, and every man in the empire was living in fear he might be executed next. Andronicus ordered the execution of all prisoners, exiles and their families for, for collusion with the invaders. The empire descended into a terror state, and the entire population had had enough. Do you remember what good Titus said when he realised he had not helped anyone one evening? Yes, he said, friends, I have wasted a day. Well, a similar thing was said about Andronicus. A historian living in the empire at the time said that a day when he ordered nobody's death was, for him, a day wasted. Andronicus Comnenus became known as Andronicus the Terrible. Next time, we'll find out exactly how terrible he was and what happened to him. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.